Listener Production. Hello, I am Jan Fran. It is Wednesday, May 25th. And in today's briefing, the Tamil family who want to go back to the Queensland town of Biloela. Annika, they were hoping, maybe more than anyone, for a Labor victory at the weekend and they got it. Yeah, and that's because Labor promised to return them to the community in central Queensland where they lived before the coalition government tried to deport them. They've now got certainty that they're going to have a safe future. They know their girls are going to get an education without persecution. They know they're going to get to raise up in a beautiful, safe country where they can participate in democracy. It's great news for the Tamil family. And coming up, Tom and Katrina are going to check in on them and what's happening now that a Labor government is in Canberra. But first, as always, here are the headlines. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is urging China to reverse trade bans on Australian imports such as coal, barley and wine. Now, these bans were believed to be in response to the Morrison government's criticism of China in the wake of the coronavirus, but came amid pretty bad tensions between Australia and China. Australia seeks good relations with all countries, uh, but it's not Australia that's changed, it's China has. It's China that has placed sanctions uh, on Australia. There is no justification for doing that and that's why they should be removed. That was Prime Minister Albanese there talking at the Quad meeting in Japan. Um, He also pledged stronger ties with Quad partners, so they include India, Japan and the United States. And this was Albanese's first gig as PM. Yeah, he's met with US President Joe Biden, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. He talked up the new government's promise on climate change while he was there. We know that climate change is such an important issue. Climate change is not just about the environment, it's about the shape of our economies, but also our national security going forward. Yeah, he also got pretty close with US President Joe Biden, um, who had this to say just as the two of them were about to enter into talks. You got on a plane, you were sworn in, got on a plane, and if you fall asleep while you're here, it's okay. Because I don't know how you're doing it, but (laughs) it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, the next quad meeting will be held in Australia next year. Yeah, this was Anthony Albanese's first, I guess, diplomatic anything as Prime Minister. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. He got sworn in, he got on a plane, and he flew over. There's an interesting side point here. He was wearing a blue badge when he was meeting uh, quad leaders, and the badge sort of denotes seniority as a Prime Minister, just in case somebody at the venue doesn't recognise him because, you know, (laughs) he's only just become the Prime Minister of Australia. I imagine there might be some people there walking around going, hang on a second, who's that? We've had a few of them too, Jan. I was with the Prime Minister Morrison a few years ago and Angela Merkel had to have a printed picture of his head to remind her who he was. Staying with China and the country has announced that its foreign minister will undertake a major tour of Pacific nations over the next two weeks. Uh, Now, the Solomon Islands recently signed a security deal with China, which raised concerns in Canberra of a possible Chinese military presence some 2,000 kilometres from the Australian coastline. 
Those concerns were brought up by Prime Minister Albanese at that quad meeting we were just telling you about. Here's Foreign Minister Penny Wong talking in Tokyo. Solomon Islands and what has occurred there exemplifies the changed strategic environment that is the Pacific. The nature of the changing environment was a topic of conversation, obviously something that Australia, given our geography and our history, wanted to make sure was was discussed fully and the PM did that. So China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi, his tour will begin next week. It'll take in the Solomon Islands, Fiji, Kiribati, Samoa, Tonga, Vanuatu, Papua New Guinea and Timor-Leste. And he'll also hold a meeting with um, the Pacific Island Foreign Ministers whilst in Fiji as well. So this is a bit of an un precedented tour, Annika, and I imagine that there will be people in Canberra keeping very close eyes on this. Mm, and even more interesting is Penny Wong sent Pacific Nations a recorded message on Monday just before being sworn in, so pretty busy time for her, and she was saying that Australia would work with them to address climate change, just getting in a little ahead of the uh, Chinese minister's visit there. And the Albanese government is already on the front foot over asylum seekers. It is investigating why Australian Border Force officials issued a press release on Saturday morning, so that was the morning of the federal election, about turning back an asylum seeker boat. The boat was intercepted west of Christmas Island on Saturday morning. Border Force's own policy is not to issue press releases during operations, but it broke those guidelines on Saturday morning, election morning, and as a result, coalition media officers sent out mass text messages on the morning of the election telling people what had happened. Yeah, so I had a few people who actually got sent this message. It said, um, breaking Australian Border Force has intercepted an illegal boat trying to reach Australia. Keep our border secure by voting Liberal today. So that was some very highly questionable messaging to receive at the best of times, let alone on the morning of a federal election. Yeah, Acting Prime Minister Richard Miles and Treasurer Jim Chalmers have ordered an investigation into what happened. Mr Chalmers said yesterday that the Albanese government would remain focused on stopping the boats and committed to that policy. Our message to the people smugglers uh, throughout the region uh, is that the policy of the new government is no different to the policy of the old government when it comes to enforcing Operation Sovereign Borders. And if people try and take that dangerous trip, they won't make it here. Uh, they will be subject to the same arrangements that existed before Saturday. So the boat intercepted on Saturday uh, has been sent back to Sri Lanka. And here's one you don't want to hear. The flu is on the march. New South Wales has followed Queensland in making flu vaccines free in a bid to stop the spread of influenza A, the common flu. Yeah, almost 5,000 people have contracted the flu in Queensland in the last week, while the monthly total in New South Wales is heading towards 12,000. I know that we've just had two years of a pandemic and coronavirus numbers are much higher than that, but I'm hearing some terrible things about the flu hitting people pretty hard. Queensland will make vaccines free through to the end of June and the New South Wales program could begin as early as next week. New South Wales Health Minister Brad Hazard said yesterday his state's free flu vaccine program would cost the government between 20 and $25 million and we'll have to wait and see how long it runs for. 
What Queensland has announced is that they're going to do it short and sharp for a month through to June, and we're looking at something similar. But we're doing that in the context of we still have a pandemic. You have to weigh up what amount of taxpayers' dollars you put into each health issue. Yeah, this month New South Wales um, has seen a fourfold increase in the number of flu cases recorded in April, and you know, as we all know, we're heading into winter, which is flu season. So it's not looking good. I was going to go and get a flu shot on Friday. I might bring that forward and head on over (laughs) after the show. And the Queen has surprised everyone by visiting the Chelsea Flower Show overnight. The 96-year-old usually walks around the displays, but this time was in a special royal household buggy, a very fancy golf buggy if you've ever seen one. Yeah, so look, this is news because the Queen's been scaling back her duties somewhat. I mean, Buckingham Palace said that there's mobility issues they're now having to consider, which I'm not surprised. She's 96 years old, but, you know, seeing her out and about the flower show is like, all right, well, the Queen's not dead. Here she is. She's looking at some flowers. There you go. I'm loving it. She's just picking finally the thing she wants to do and ditching the thing she doesn't, sending her son or grandson. It's great. You love to say it. The Palace is gearing up for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations, which will run over a special four-day long weekend from Thursday the 2nd to Sunday the 5th of June in the UK. Yeah, let's see how much she's able to sort of participate in those. It's a remarkable achievement to be on the throne for 70 years. All right, that is it from Annika and I for today. Tom and Katrina are going to jump in next uh, to find out what's happening with the Tamil family that could be on their way back to the Queensland town of Billawilla. Hey guys, Katrina Blowers here. Well, for a family of Tamil asylum seekers, the outcome of Saturday's election determined the course of the rest of their lives. Yes, yeah, so there were two Tamils, Priya and Nades. Now, these two people came to Australia separately by boat from Sri Lanka a decade ago. They met in detention, um, became a couple, and were given bridging visas. And then they moved to Bilawila, which is a small country town in central Queensland. They worked there, they had two daughters there, and became much-loved members of that community. But then in 2018, their bridging visas ran out. They were removed by border force and sent to Christmas Island Detention Centre. They actually became the only residents in detention at that centre at the time. And that just sparked huge protests. It was a complex legal situation, but eventually they were moved to Perth after their three-year-old daughter, Tanika, suffered a blood infection. Now, during the election campaign, advocates for the family say that Labor made promises that they would allow the family to move back to Bilawila. So on Saturday night, there were very happy tears and huge celebrations when Albanese claimed victory. Yeah, and the Bilawila family were told they were coming home. So in this briefing, we're going to get an update on where this situation is at right now, what the next steps will be, and also what this could mean for thousands of other Tamil families who are in a similar situation. Angela Fredericks is a Billowilla local and a close friend of the family. She's been spearheading the Back to Billow campaign. Angela, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us how the family reacted to the news of the Labor election victory? Oh, it was such a reaction of relief. I was privileged enough to get to say the words to them, you are coming home. And to just see 
the relief spread across Priya's face. The tears flowed and for the first time they were happy tears. And then when Nadez was home from work and we got to talk to him, you could just see that they could breathe again. You know, they've been holding their breath for four years and all of a sudden they've now got certainty that they're going to have a safe future. They know their girls are going to get an education without persecution. They know they're going to get to raise up in a beautiful, safe country where they can participate in democracy. So just so much relief all around. What exactly was the promise? Who made it and when? Are you 100% sure that this family will be able to go back to Biloela? It's been going on since before the election in 2019. And our confidence is the fact that they have publicly and unequivocally on so many occasions said that they will bring this family home. We had Anthony Albanese say it just in the lead up to polling day. We also had Anthony Albanese visit Billawilla before the last election. And I guess that's where our faith lies. We know that we sat with him. He listened to us. He asked questions. He fully understood what was going on. And so that gives us all that faith that he's got the facts. We know Jim Chalmers, he has said he's going to be briefed on this family in this week. We have a very good optimism that this is a done deal. But have they said they they understand the plight of the family or have they literally said, we will bring them home? They have said, we will bring them home. How do you expect that to happen? Is that about ministerial discretion from the immigration minister? And what would the, the visa situation be? So there's a few ways that this could happen and until we have a Minister for Immigration sworn in, we can't really begin those conversations. The most simplest way in my mind is the Minister can use his ministerial discretion. He can sign the paperwork and give this family visas to come back to Billawilla and then we can talk there about long-term what we do do to follow process. So that is the clear-cut way in my mind. Little Tarnika still has a case sitting before the Minister for Immigration as to whether they allow her a protection claim. So there are multiple pathways to take and we really look forward to having those discussions. So has anyone from Labor reached out to you or the family since the election win to confirm that they will be allowed to go back to Billow? So we've had some Labor MPs from Western Australia who have reached out to supporters to ensure that we know that when they go into their meetings this week, they're going to make sure this is a priority, which is so beautiful to know that Western Australia is behind us. We've also had Senator Murray Watts saying that this this is a priority and they're going to do this. So, you know, remembering they are only a couple of days in, we are looking forward to having those discussions later this week when Jim Chalmers gets that briefing. I think a lot of people were expecting that Christina Keneally would become the immigration minister, but she's been voted out of parliament completely and Peter Dutton could be the new liberal leader. So who do you think will be Keneally's replacement in that portfolio? And are you sure they'll withstand the pressure that Peter Dutton might put on them to use their ministerial discretion in this case? Because he'll, I imagine, 
be making the case he's been making for a long time that this could lead to an influx of other people seeking permanent resettlement here, potentially arriving by boat. LNP have made it very clear along the last four years that the decision does actually only sit with the Minister for Immigration. So as far as we're concerned, the opposition party actually has no say. And and that's that's what we've seen in the last four years, because if they did have influence, this family would have been home before now. In terms of the rhetoric that they do like to speak about in terms of, you know, this undoing all their hard work and all this stuff, you know what, if our immigration policy is so reliant on torturing two little girls and returning one little family to a country town, I think we've got bigger issues on our hands. So, you know, with ministerial intervention, as we've said all along, it doesn't set any precedent. Ministerial intervention has been used long before this family's case and it will continue to be used. So we have faith in the strong labour party whom we have spoke to so many in their ranks and we know that they're also bolstered they've got so much support from you know so many of the independents who are now in parliament from the greens from other minority groups so we're confident that they can stand up to whatever the lnp wants to put down how quickly do you think all of this could happen once again, we're waiting for that minister to be sworn in. However, our hope is on the 11th of June, we have our Flourish Festival in Billawilla, which is a multicultural celebration of our community and what makes our town flourish. And then we, of course, have little Tani's birthday on the 12th of June. And this is her fifth birthday. And if she can actually be let out of community detention, this will actually be her first birthday where she's not in detention. So we would love to be able to have her party in our park and actually let her see what a childhood party should actually look like. Wow, that would be a pretty beautiful end to this story, wouldn't it, if they could attend that multicultural festival and celebrate Tani's birthday? They would be beautiful pictures. I think a lot of people around Australia would celebrate that. Absolutely. We've also currently got an art exhibition going on in town called The Long Way Home, which is all about their story. And to actually have them here to walk through that and hope, you know, close it, because at the end of the day, they will be home. So as a community, we are just so excited to have them back and to all start living again. And do you know any other Tamil families who are on temporary protection visas or bridging visas who are now also hopeful of staying in Australia after the change of government? We've had some beautiful Tamils who have been supporting us through this whole process, who have helped us with interpreting. Priya and Adesa's close friend, Bashini, who has been speaking at rallies for them, who has been helping us interpret. She and her family all now face a certain future as well. So we are just so grateful to Australia for helping helping create certainty and security for so many vulnerable people. Are you saying they have certainty because of Labor's policy to abolish the temporary protection visas and, and allow them to have permanent protection? That is correct, yes. There have been so many, so many people on temporary visas 
who have been contributing so much to this beautiful country. They've been getting invested in community groups. Their children have been growing up in our schools. And so it will actually be so wonderful when we can all actually be on an equal footing and all all actually give them that peace of mind that they can continue to invest their lives here in Australia. That was Angela Fredericks, who's been spearheading the Back to Billow campaign. So just to clarify what we were talking about there regarding temporary protection visas, this is an important distinction between the two major parties when it comes to immigration policy and will be one to watch closely. Yeah, so since 2013, the two major parties have almost been in lockstep on asylum policy. Both Liberal and Labor have supported Operation Sovereign Borders and that features boat turnbacks at sea, offshore processing for boat arrivals and third-party country resettlement, which now includes New Zealand along with the United States. So that's what they both agree on. The only difference between the two major parties, Labor and Liberal, is on the issue of temporary protection visas. So these visas for refugees only last three years and then they have to be reviewed. Labor have said that's unfair and they'll abolish these visas so that anyone deemed worthy of protection will get a permanent visa. Now, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre says there are about 30,000 people on these temporary protection visas. So this is going to be an interesting one to watch, Katrina. Yeah, will those tens of thousands of people be granted permanent visas? Also, will that encourage more boats, as we've been warned by the Liberal Party? Uh, You know, even if more boats came, would they be turned back anyway, as Labor has been pointing out? So essentially, the Liberal Party's hardline rhetoric is going to be tested here. Part of their argument has been that just allowing this one family back to a Queensland country town would somehow set a dangerous precedent. If that Labor Party promise comes good, as Angela was saying, that rhetoric's going to be tested as well. All right, that is it for our show today. Coming up tomorrow, we're taking a look at the Liberal Party's problem with women. A Liberal insider talks us through what the party needs to do to get that vote back. Listener.